Most of all, I think I would focus on that last that you mentioned, the impact investor, a growing group of investors that realize they have an opportunity not just to throw money at a 10 times or 30 time return that is just going to be money sitting there looking for its next opportunity. What kind of social ROI can you be involved with in your impact investing? Is it a condominium that is affordable housing in Ethiopia? What is it that you can invest with the next idea that's coming around? Is it financial technologies in Central Europe? Hi, everyone. Welcome to Looking Forward, Opportunities for Job, Career, Business, and Investment Seekers. If that describes you, then this is the podcast for you. If you're a freelancer, a startup or small business, a well-established company, a nonprofit, or even someone thinking about a second or possibly a third career, this is for you too. You see, here in Looking Forward, we focus on global trends in the future, but most importantly, on the opportunities they're creating. Our guest experts will not only tell you about those opportunities, they will also give you some tips to help you take the first steps toward capitalizing on them. I'm your host, Jeff Ostroff. Hi, everyone. Did you know there's a global movement to solve some of our world's biggest problems by helping those with the greatest needs become self-sufficient? This movement is being led by all kinds of people and organizations. Nonprofits, for-profits, specialists, technicians, entrepreneurs, and investors. My guest expert on this episode, Dr. Courtney Cash, is one of those leading the way in these social entrepreneurship endeavors. I think you'll find what Courtney has to say enlightening and inspiring. To learn more about Courtney, listen to the episode and check the show notes. And please don't forget to give us feedback about this or any other Looking Forward episode. Now, before we get started, I want to say a few words about our sponsor, Superpass. Do you make podcasts, video courses, or other content? Well, that means you need your own engaging website and mobile app for everything you make. And Superpass can help. Turn your followers into superfans and paid customers. Elevate your brand with your own stunning website and mobile app. And with Superpass, It's never been easier. Superpass is the most powerful content app maker on the market. And now you can try it for free. Or like me, you can be on one of their other plans. Enter code LOOKINGFORWARD, all one word, all caps, LOOKINGFORWARD, and get a 10% lifetime discount on any of their plans. Go to superpass.com. That's super with an A. Superpass.com. And hey, If you want us to mention your organization on the show, please contact us for more details. Okay, let's get started. Well, hi, Courtney. Welcome to Looking Forward Opportunities for Job, Career, Business, and Investment Seekers. Thanks, Jeff. I'm glad to be here with you today. appreciate being a part of the Looking Forward podcast. Thank you so much for being on. You are an expert on a topic that I must say I'm very interested in, but don't know a lot about. And I think part of it is because it's really starting to explode, if I can use that word, but you'll tell us about that. And your expertise, Courtney, of course, is on using social enterprise and market-based solutions 
to solve some of the world's most challenging issues. And I'm curious, as I'm sure our listeners will be, as to when and why you got interested and involved in that. Jeff, I appreciate the intro. Sometimes we trip and fall into what we have next, or it comes and finds us. It's not always the plan. And it kind of happened for me. I set out to be in the nonprofit sector, spent 30 years in the nonprofit sector because it was all about doing good for others. And it became fundraising and strategic planning. And over time, uh, without even really realizing what was happening, because you're in the forest, you know that you're struggling with fundraising. You know that it's getting harder and markets change and economies change, but you, you got to stay at that grind. You got to keep raising money so you can help people. And over time, Jeff, I just began to realize there's got to be other ways to generate revenue. So I started looking across the aisle into the other sector of business and how do they do it? How do they generate revenue? How do they find other revenue streams? What is this entrepreneurship that they're talking about? And where through collaboration do they give money? And I began to look at that and ran into social entrepreneurship. And when I did, I found that there were all different ways that nonprofits could raise money and generate revenue that a lot of people don't think about. Hey, if you're a nonprofit, you can't make money. And that's not true. There's a lot of opportunities and a lot more people are figuring this out. Yes. And it's interesting because you have, in effect, married the nonprofit world with business and enterprise and entrepreneurship and all these things, which I love that combination. I think it would be helpful, Courtney, for you to elaborate a bit for those of us who aren't entirely familiar with what you mean by social enterprise and market-based solutions to solve some of the biggest world challenges. Absolutely, Jeff. Everybody's a social enterprise now. Since Tom Shoes came along and <laughs> anybody that gives away a little bit of money, they're, they're a social enterprise, right? I do business. I want to do good. I've got to save the environment. If I want to market to millennials, then I got to give away something, you know, buy one, give one. And I've got to involve them. And so everybody's a social enterprise. But the reality is when you really dig deep and you start looking at social entrepreneurship and social enterprise as its core, you find out that it's more about your initial purpose is to solve some type of problem, uh, to create some type of transformation. It's not business. And I'm going to do business and I'm going to make money and I want to do some good in the world. That's corporate social responsibility. That's something that we should all do. But to actually say, I'm going to take a market-based solution, a product, a process, a service, I'm going to use that, whether through collaboration, I'm going to use that through retail, whatever it might be, to transform some ecosystem, to right a wrong, to be able to take an unjust situation for this group of people and through a market-based solution, make life better for them. Hmm. And so that's what we're doing through social enterprise. One example would be as the World Shoe Incorporated that I'm involved with in the World Shoe Fund. We took the product of footwear and we knew that product could potentially fight disease, promote hygiene. Well, that's all well and good on the humanitarian side, but to sustain and scale, could we manufacture that among the people most in need? Could we address poverty at the same time as addressing a global health issue? And it turns out we can through a simplified manufacturing process on a major global scale. The Grameen Bank, 
It all started with Indian women and giving them 27 US dollars each and not asking for any kind of loan or security loan to go with that. And by doing that and not charging interest, you empower people to get out from under this debt ceiling uh, that they were always stuck in this debt cycle. They would have a little bit of money. They could have a little bit of success, but the debt and the interest was so high, they never could get out. And so we've seen microfinance change millions of lives around the world. And that's what social enterprise is. I see this problem. What can I do through a market-based solution, through retail, through earned revenue and not always asking for money to solve that problem? Yeah, and what I really find interesting about this, Courtney, is that traditionally, correct me if I'm wrong, you might either send shoes to a country where the children or others need shoes, or you might send funds to a country to help them buy shoes that are not made in that country. What you're talking about, for example, with what you're involved with, the World Shoe Fund, is you're actually accomplishing both initiatives or endeavors here. You're providing more shoes to people who live in a given country, but they're making the shoes right there, which is creating jobs and, and business opportunities. Is that correct? Hey, giving aid is a good thing, right? Helping people is good. Who doesn't want to see the villain vanquished? Let's help people survive and thrive. And so we've got money. Let's give them money. We've got products. Let's give them products. We've got food. Let's give them food. Well, all of the finance, all the financial transaction, the entire market for that is with the giver, the hero, the person that is going to empower. But what happens when you throw all that aid into another market? Billions of dollars have been put into Haiti. What happened to Haiti? So Haiti must be better. We've given them billions of dollars. We've given them housing. We've given them medical supplies. But why are they worse off today? Because we're seeing, one, charity is not sustainable. And on the other side of that, we see too much charity infused into another market actually de-incentivizes innovation. It de-incentivizes entrepreneurship. If I can get free shoes over here, why should I go to the guy in the market selling shoes? Why should I go to my hospital over here? Why should I come up with a new idea or a new innovation for a public toilet or for some type of making our own inoculations and vaccines if the Western world is going to give it to us? And so what we're looking at now is that's just not the way that we're going to have advancement in our world. We have to empower from the ground up. It makes so much sense to me, Courtney. It really does. The dependency, the lack of sustainability of it, it really just rings true to me. Looking forward, as you know, Courtney, is about global trends. You named a few examples, including World Shoe Fund, of things that are going on where you have this marriage of social enterprise and market-based solutions. What do you think is responsible for why this might be a growing trend? What's going on now that makes this something that all of a sudden seems like maybe it's taken off or maybe it had taken off 10 years ago. It's only just taking off more now. Well, I think there's a lot of things that we can look at that are coming together. And I don't like the phrase a perfect storm, but we are in a time when nonprofits for so long were just getting by and then you had a pandemic. And even before the pandemic, you had foundations and others that started to get into 
KPI, key performance indicators, evaluations, where's our money going, ROI on charity. And so that meant that they were looking for some type of return and measurement and not just throwing money. Haiti was a big deal. There have been multiple books written on Haiti and all of the money that went into this one, almost this poor African country in the Western hemisphere, that kind of thing and how it got worse and not better. You also have emerging markets in other countries. You actually have the youngest, fastest growing workforce in the world is on the continent of Africa. And you've got aging workforces in the United States and Japan and Europe. So you have these young people and you have this push and this drive for entrepreneurship and independence. And so they're not looking for handouts. And you've got governments that are starting in Rwanda for example, Liberia, Ghana, they don't want to be a dependent society. They want to get out from under colonialism that here in the U.S., we think of colonialism as the 1500s or that, you know, it's forever sure. ago. For a lot of these people, it's less than 100 years ago, mm. their freedom, and they don't want to be dependent on the West anymore. So you have this entrepreneurial spirit. So when you start matching all of these things together, along with millennials coming and saying, if your business is not doing good, I don't want to do business with you. And then you had something like Tom's Shoes. And there was a struggle on the back end. There was a lot they didn't know, but the integrity on the front end of what they were trying to do, this transactional buy one, give one, and connecting the consumer with the recipient on the other end, instead of just throwing dollars, so you start stacking these things up and you get into a place where you see people are like, it's unjust to see a cycle of poverty when there's so much money in the world. It's unjust to see something called a neglected tropical disease when there's so many foundations and health organizations fighting things like HIV and malaria. And so when you start to see this and you start to get an entrepreneurial spirit amongst the young people and young leaders, you're going to have people step up and say, there's got to be a new way to do business. I agree. And I find it very interesting, Courtney, what you said about Africa as an example, because for many years, my focus was on the aging of the population. I wrote a book about that several years ago, and that's what we were glued to. And it's exciting to hear you talk about the emergence of younger populations that also represent a great opportunity and also themselves need opportunities. Mm -hmm. And so I really like what you're directing your efforts towards. And I want to have you pick up on that. Looking Forward is globally oriented. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned Africa. I'm wondering, when you're talking about Africa, are there other places around the world, and you can talk again about Africa, where this trend that we're talking about, the trend of marrying social enterprise and market-based solutions to solve problems. Is, is this taking place all over the globe? You're seeing it all over the globe. If you look at, you know, slum areas in, again, Kenya, Africa, places like that, we're starting to see people that are able to move out of those. A slum is a market system. It's its own market. But you're starting to see people being able to move out of that using what really is low-tech technology, like I mentioned earlier in Africa and India, just with public toilets to improve hygiene. Mm. A 10 to 30 cent solution, but you do that 10 cent to 30 cent solution on the scale of one to two million toilets, 
Think about how many lives are being changed, how the hygiene is being improved, diseases are starting to go away. And an entrepreneur that designed a toilet, water, hydroponics, aquaponics, what we're looking at in a group called Foundations for Farming that teach a group of farmers to take a one hectare piece of land, you give them a bucket, you give them the seeds, you teach them a new way to do farming where they don't create the mounds, they create it flat. You do this all over Southeast Asia, and all of a sudden you can take a country like Zimbabwe or Indonesia or Bali or wherever it might be, and you might be able to take them and their country become a net importer of something like corn and turn them into a net exporter of corn. Yes, we're seeing it all over the world from Central America to Africa, even in Europe with 3D printing and clothing. Mm -hmm. We're seeing it in the recycling where people are taking fish waste and working on ways that they can turn fish waste into the material that you would use for 3D printing that you could potentially make customized free trade clothing out of it. So we're only limited by our ideas and our ability to translate that idea to a market. You mentioned earlier the word marriage, the marriage between that cross sector of the triangle government and the public and private and the NGO sector and being able to work through all of those. Like a marriage, one of the difficulties is language. Being able to communicate across those sectors is something that we're seeing. But man, the outcome is worth it. I believe it. I had a guest on recently who talked about the marriage between the public and private sectors and how powerful that can be. And this sounds like another example of that. Yeah. I want to ask you a follow-up question before we talk about the, the real hub of this podcast, which is opportunities. Mm -hmm. Is this sort of activity occurring in the United States as well? Usually I'm asking my guests to steer away from the United States because they yeah. tend to lean on the United States. Mm -hmm. But in your case, you've given so many great examples outside the United States and yeah. North America. Is this also happening in North America? Well, it's not only happening in North America. I see it every day. I actually have a classroom today of eight social entrepreneurship students at Barry College. And I know it's happening through the Sullivan Foundation on college campuses. You see it happening with different groups around the country. But I'll just give you a couple examples from my class. There's a lifestyle brand in our class and that lifestyle brand, what they have seen is the injustice of cultural relationships and the fact that we're creating differences between culture instead of bringing people together. And what they've decided to do is they've got a lifestyle brand called Melanin's. And instead of going pure nonprofit, they went for profit. And what they're doing is they're looking to open cafes and they've gone off melanin in our skin. And it's African-American students that developed a lifestyle brand. And they say, look, we've all got melanin in our skin. And what they want to do is they actually want to print the T-shirts and print the clothing actually in a cafe style. So they want to get you together and have the lifestyle brand all at the same time. I have students that are working with foodstuffs and they're creating food, but they're selling out of mobile trucks and they're using that to partner with soup kitchens. So not just to give money away or raise money and I'll make food and take it to the soup kitchen. No, I'm going to go and I'm going to develop a business model that allows me on a local level to deal with food insecurity or hunger issues 
in a particular county or region like a Western Mississippi, West Virginia, or here in Rome, Georgia, where we are, where there's a 19% poverty rate and be able to address that through a retail means and not through just begging for money so I can help people. Very innovative stuff. I really hope you're enjoying this episode so far. If you are, can you please do me a small favor? Let some of your family members, friends, or others in your network know about it and about looking forward opportunities for job, career, business, and investment seekers. And hey, if you happen to like this podcast, my interviewing approach, or maybe even my voice, please consider checking out some of the many services my business provides. These include podcast hosting, creation, and consulting, voiceovers, professional interviewing, production of audio or video profiles to help you sell your business, promote your services, increase your customers, or raise funding, and services to help you market to the large and growing seniors population. That's something I've actually written a book about. To learn more, please visit www.jeff-ostroff.com. You can also email me at jeff at jeff-ostroff.com. Now let's get back to this episode of Looking Forward, Opportunities for Job, Career, Business, and Investment Seekers. Courtney, our primary focus on looking forward is, of course, opportunities. Based on your expertise, Courtney, I'm wondering what opportunities do you believe the use of social enterprise and market-based solutions offer to any of the following groups? Job and career seekers, entrepreneurs, freelancers, businesses or investors. And of course, we're not just talking about people like that who are in the United States or Canada. We're talking about people all over the world. Why don't we go all of the above, but I'll try to do it quickly. Okay. So on job seekers, there are companies like Interface Carpets, which is a billion dollar flooring company out of Indiana, I believe is where they are. But an entire side of their business because of Ray Anderson, their founder, and Ray since passed away. But Ray talks about being pierced to the heart when he learned about what businesses were potentially doing with no care whatsoever to the environment. And so he restructured his entire business to be carbon neutral and to give back and to help build the environment instead of tearing it down. Well, that is a corporate business where you could get a job that they have entire segments of their business dedicated to social clauses, not just selling flooring. So that when you go out as a job seeker, you want to take a look. Is it just corporate social responsibility? Do they care about the earth? Do they care about people? Do they care locally? Do they partner with local NGOs? So as a job seeker, you can take a look at a business and see what they're doing. As an entrepreneur, yes. The person that founded World Shoe came out of a nonprofit that he started to deliver shoes to people in need. He helped to build a new shoe. He is an innovator. He's a thinker. His name's Manny Ohome out of Samaritan's Feet. And Manny is a pure entrepreneur at heart, came out of the nonprofit sector. And now he has a footwear brand and a manufacturing company in Ghana and looking to expand to Rwanda and then to South Africa. So that entrepreneur spirit, if you add passion and concern for others, then entrepreneurs are going to be the ones that change our world. And then freelance, that's me. 
I, I had my own consulting business to help nonprofits with strategic planning and fundraising. And I was brought in to write a paper on how shoes could fight disease. Someone that loves research and strategic planning and somebody else's vision, this never happens with one. Heropreneurship, that's not a good thing. You can't do this by yourself. And so bringing in consultants that can help you with HR, bringing in a consultant or a freelancer. So we brought in a lot of people that help our organization and what they do, they could be a photographer, they could be a videographer, they could be a storyteller, whatever it might be. So yes, if you will open your, your heart and your mind and your hands to this type of business, most of all, I think I would focus on that last that you mentioned, the impact investor, a growing group of investors that realize they have an opportunity not just to throw money at a 10 times or 30 time return that is just going to be money sitting there looking for its next opportunity. What kind of social ROI can you be involved with in your impact investing? Is it a condominium that is affordable housing in Ethiopia? What is it that you can invest with the next idea that's coming around? Is it financial technologies in Central Europe? So there's a lot of opportunities in all of these categories. And there's different groups coming together. There's multiple websites and blogs, Skull Foundation, Ashoka. There's several others that are out there where we see this. And you're starting to see it in Forbes, Fast Times, stories about social entrepreneurship. Terrific. I want to just clarify for listeners who may not be aware of it. You threw NGO out there, non-governmental organizations. Just want to... Yes. You said not U.S. focused. We think nonprofit. And most anywhere outside the United States, if you're dealing with that not-for-profit sector, it's considered an NGO, a non-governmental organization. Yes. Looking forward is called looking forward for two reasons. One is because of the positivity that it connotes. People aren't usually looking forward to jumping off a cliff. Unless <laughs> they're a cliff diver, <laughs> right? Exactly. They're looking forward to something positive, but it's also looking forward, looking into the future. So not asking you to be a crystal ball person, but just looking through the rest of this decade, what are you envisioning might happen here in terms of this trend that we're talking about yeah. and in terms of what that suggests for the opportunities that you were just talking about, Courtney? I think is specifically, you're going to see growing groups of venture capitalists becoming impact investors. There's going to be more of a look than, than just my return. The same way you have a movement in companies that they want to do corporate social responsibility almost as, hey, we have to. It's a requirement. Our market requires us to do this. And we're going to get our volunteers involved. We're going to get our staff and they're going to participate. We're going to try to find local I think you're going to see a growth in that with companies, but I really do think you're going to see a lot more impact investment. I think you're going to see government agencies like USAID, the Millennium Challenge Corporation that I was with today at lunch, the State Department, World Health Organization, World Bank. They're going to start moving more toward this market-based solution as well as being sustainable and scalable. And what's going to happen is they're going to change the capacity and the mindset of the fund seekers. So 
It's not going to be, hey, these organizations are giving you money to do aid. They're going to create a trend that says, we're going to put our money in market-based solutions. So you're going to see more and more organizations move toward, well, if that's where the money's going, we have to get there as well. So I think you're going to see a maturing in that service-based market toward that's where the funding is going from different foundations. For example, yesterday I heard a book review and interview with Dr. Shaw, the president of the Rockefeller Foundation. And the Rockefeller Foundation, they helped fight hookworm in the southern United States, 1910s and 20s. And they've just continued to grow their vaccine. They're pushing right now an initiative that's going to get electricity to almost a billion people in the world. But he's written a book, Dr. Shaw has written a book called Big Bets. And it's just a book about let's not just get stuck on aspirational fatigue or aspirational fears like poverty. Can't solve that. So why worry about it? And Global health can't solve that. Well, why worry about it? He's like, we need to get around to making these big bets. And we need to be collaborative and cross-sector and cross-cutting with our solutions. And honestly, Jeff, I think you're going to see more and more of that. You're going to see people that are pushing these really big ideas and market-based solutions to try to solve them. I hope so. It sounds very exciting. I want to come back to that for a second, Courtney. Let's take a look at the population in Haiti. We could pick Africa, Asia, but let's just say Haiti. Are people who live in these countries who are receiving the aid, the traditional aid, let's say, the money was going over there or shoes were going up, are they being groomed in some way to be prepared for this and what it means for them, what they need to do? No, there's a great book, and I have my class going through it right now, called From Aid to Trade. And it's a book about Haitian business leaders. And so you got two groups to think about here. One, you got the people on the ground that are receiving things for free. What's going to happen to them is you're actually going to change the market. And so if I was buying soap from this vendor, I was buying bread from this vendor, and I was buying clothes from this vendor, and they were charging this price and this price, well, that was my market. You know, I either could afford it or I couldn't. And But the economy and all the transactions were happening here, post-earthquake, here comes all the aid organizations. Well, the aid organization is bringing in soap for half the price, clothes for free. They're bringing in bread at subsidized rates with the government. Well, I'm not going to buy this soap anymore. I'm going to buy the cheap one. I'm going to buy the bread. I'm going to take the free clothing. Somebody comes and gives me shoes. Well. That's depressing the market. It's also changing the entire pricing structure for the country. And so I get used to a new price structure. The problem is it's subsidized. That price structure is false because of aid. Well, what happens when the aid goes away? The businesses that you put out of business with subsidy, and these businesses are trying to compete. They're trying to redo. Hey, I may have been in the soap business, But now soap is free in my country because of this aid. I got to get out of the soap business, but I'm an entrepreneur. I'll try this business. And that's what the book From Aid to Trade is all about. But it completely changes an economy in a country like Haiti. So what we really need here, and maybe this is happening more in a place like Africa, is we need a paradigm shift 
in the thinking, not only of the people who are providing the aid, but also in those who are receiving it to see this as a way that they can actually roll their sleeves up and get involved with it. And it will create jobs and businesses. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, I mentioned a group like Foundations for Farming. They're not doing subsidized farming. They're raising up the local farmer. The factory that the World Shoe just opened in Ghana, everyone that works in that factory is Ghanaian. And they're paid through that factory. We're trying to create as many local transactions as possible and not have money spent in another country and you just drop that product or that service or that factor or whatever it might be in the middle of some place in Southeast Asia or Central America or Africa. And so, yes, we want to empower, and I was corrected on that word empower because it still sounds patriarchal, but we want to help. And we truly want to come alongside to empower entrepreneurs and economies in other places. Yeah. I love the concept. I can see the paradigm shift. I can see where education is required. I can see where it's going to take time and so yes. forth. Courtney, one of the things that we do here on Looking Forward is we not only give people information about where the opportunities are, where the trends are, but we give them tips on how they can begin to take the first steps to capitalize on those trends and those opportunities. You've mentioned a number of opportunities. You actually are one of those guests. And not everybody, not even nearly everybody can do this. You've covered the landscape with Mm -hmm. this. What are some tips you might give individuals, job seekers, career seekers, investors, Mm -hmm. business seekers, freelancers, all that stuff? How do you get people to start to move into this and make the world a better place through the partnerships you're talking about? Well. I hate to do this, but Google is a great start. (laughs) If you're just getting started and you Google a social enterprise and you can get the top 10, you can look at different businesses and what they're doing in social enterprise. And again, you might get more of the buy one, get one, but there's some stuff that you could learn. I think the biggest thing, Jeff, I would say is to look beyond corporate social responsibility. And what I would say by that is to look beyond just the marketing that you see When it sounds like buy one, give one, is that really social entrepreneurship or is that a marketing ploy? And if I'm going into the job market or if I am an entrepreneur and I want to do research with my potential partners, those types of things, then I really want to take a deep dive and make sure there's an integrity in the purpose and the founder of that organization. So from a purely business standpoint, I think that's how I'd look at it. From a personal standpoint, I think I would dig in what drives me crazy. Take a look at that thing that when you see it on the news, when you read about it in a newspaper, when you see it come up on your feed, I don't like that. That's not fair. I don't like that the foster children in my community are dealing with this. And traditionally, what we do is we go crowdfund, we go outside of our professional scope or our training, we just go raise some money or join somebody that's raising money. Think about how you could potentially be used as an expert, as an entrepreneur, as a partner, providing business services or professional services that can make a difference in that problem. How can I help foster care through a tutoring program or through recruiting other foster parents because I'm a marketing expert. Just take that passion in your heart, the thing that bugs you, 
and look at how you could make a difference in that space beyond just asking for charity. Yeah. And I like the idea of, in this case, it's almost what is your personal pain point? What's really bothering you when we're talking about individuals finding a place for themselves within the milieu of social enterprise and market-based solutions? Yep. This has been wonderful. It's very eye-opening. It's very much trailblazing. I get excited about positive paradigm shifts, which I see this as being. Yeah. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you, the World Shoe Fund, or other things that you do, whatever else you'd like them to know about, if you have websites, any of that stuff? Well, I would guide people just to see what we're doing with World Shoe to two sites. One would be www.worldshoefund.org. And that is the nonprofit. We're going to be launching a retail brand that will be at theworldshoe.com coming soon. If you want to see where this kind of came from, this concept of how did this all start? And it's a group called Samaritan's Feet, samaritansfeet.org. And you'll see how a nonprofit was doing good, but that nonprofit said, there's got to be a better way to sustain and scale this. And that's where World Shoe came from. So that's how you can find out about what we're doing. Courtney, this has been terrific. I have learned a lot myself. I got to believe that our listeners will. And what I also think will come out of this is inspiration. I think you're going to inspire people. And hopefully we're going to have more people in one capacity or another get involved in some of these social enterprise and market-based solutions that you're talking about to solve some really big problems, whether they are local problems or world problems. So thanks again for being our guest on Looking Forward Opportunities for Job, Career, Business, and Investment Seekers. Jeff, again, my privilege, my great privilege. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Looking Forward, Opportunities for Job, Career, Business, and Investment Seekers. I hope you've enjoyed it and will benefit from it. And if you did like it, please share this episode with anyone you know who you think might also find it of value. And if you have any comments or questions about Looking Forward or any suggestions for future topics or guest experts, you can reach me at the website www.jeff-ostroff.com or through my email address, jeff at jeff-ostroff.com. Thanks.